Welcome, everybody, to all of our campuses meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. Glad you made it to church. I also want to welcome those of you who are watching online around the country and world. Always glad to have you join us as well. And before we dive into the message, you know, all week long we've been watching the news and praying for people down in Texas and now in Florida. And uh, last weekend, we challenged our church to respond financially uh, to give towards Samaritan's Purse, who's on the ground there in Texas and will be there in Florida as well. And we just threw it out there for people to respond. And I just want to tell you what this church did. Uh, we responded with 200 and almost $210,000 to just to be sent uh, to those in need. So, yeah. I am incredibly grateful and impressed, humbled uh, by this church and how you respond every single time we lay a challenge out to you. You respond financially and in your prayer, so thank you for that. Keep those folks in mind in Florida and in Texas as we, uh, as we watch what's happening down there. But I am so glad you joined us today because we are in a series called Made for More. Because what I, what I believe about every person here watching online is that you are made for more. You are made to do more, trust more, risk more, overcome and accomplish more than you probably think right now. I believe every person have opportunities that are yet to be discovered or realized in your life. Some people have mediocre marriages, mediocre careers, mediocre everything. And what's worse is they think that's just the way it is and there's nothing they can do about it. But I believe God made you for more than mediocre. And what we want to do in this series is try to get you to think about what is the more that you were made for. Is there something more that God wants you to achieve or accomplish than what you think right now? One of my favorite authors, teachers, pastors, Chuck Swindoll says it this way, Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond. I, I totally believe that. You know, maybe you didn't have the best parents. Maybe you think you're not as intelligent, good-looking, or lucky as other people are. But I'm telling you, life is 10% what happens to you and really 90% how you respond to that, what you do with it. I grew up rather poor. Uh, son of a preacher, four siblings, uh, brother and three sisters, I had two pairs of pants to my name to wear to school, switched them out when they got dirty, hand-me-downs from my brother. There was no such thing, by the way, as an allowance in our house or fidget spinners. <laughs> we had recess and trees to climb and the dump where my brother and I shot things with our BB guns. I mean, give a kid a BB gun and you won't need a fidget spinner, okay? Just saying. And, and we worked. As kids growing up, we worked when I was eight years old. My dad took me down to the Joliet Herald News in Joliet, Illinois. And he said, Bob wants a paper route. I said, I do? I didn't know that, but evidently I did. So I got hired as a helper for a kid named Ron. A year later, Ron went to college. And I took over his paper route, and I delivered papers every single day, seven days a week, after school for the next four years. At age 13, my dad bought me a push lawnmower. And I mowed lawns uh, for the next three or four years. I had 10 lawns by midsummer. I had my own lawn mowing business by age 13. When I was 16, one of my dad's parishioners in his church had a painting business, and he said, Bob wants to paint houses. <laughs> I said, I do? I don't know the first thing about it. And this is a true story. They took me over to a house, gave me a three-hour lesson on how to scrape, caulk windows, and paint, and that was it. They left me with an entire house to paint at age 16, but by summer's end, I had painted three houses and banked $5,000 
on my own. If, by the way, if, my, if I'd have told my dad I wanted a fidget spinner, he'd have told me to go fidget in a paint bucket. I mean, come on. When I was 18, my parents drove me from Pittsburgh to St. Paul to start college. As soon as we unloaded my stuff in the dorm, dad drove me over to Columbia Transit Bus Company and said, Bob wants to drive a school bus. <laughs> And he just kind of left me. I mean, that was it. He kind of left me there. I was a 1,000 miles away from home, all on my own for tuition, books, room and board. And moving back home, by the way, was not an option. I spent four years in college, the next four years in seminary, eight years back-to-back -back going to school, the whole time working part-time jobs to pay for my food, rent, and school. And after eight years of going to school, I finally got my first real job as the pastor of a little country church in Fallen, Wisconsin. Here's a picture of it. My starting salary was $11,000 a year, plus all the venison we could eat as a family. Five years later, I went back to school. Served that church for five years, great five years. Went back to school to Penn State University, go Lions, they're on a roll, number four in the country. More, more part-time work and being poor during those three years at Penn State. My wife and I graduated from PSU three years later. My wife and I were 34 years old when we came to Minnesota. We had two little kids, an old car that my wife's father gave to us just out of mercy, and a down payment on our first and only house that we've ever owned. We're still in it. At that time, we were a church of 350 people. And the first year, all three of my staff quit. So that was nice. <laughs> but then we grew from 350 people to 450, 450 to 1,000, 1,000 to 2,000. Then we built a new children's wing there in White Bear and a new worship center. Then a bunch of us basically risked our careers, took out a loan of $28 million, bought, bought 80 acres and built this campus out here on the north side of the Twin Cities. We opened this campus in 2005, we grew from 5,000 people to 8,000 people, but I was so stressed and exhausted, I almost didn't make it. And now, 26 years later, today, we are a multi-site church with six campuses, 250 staff, almost debt-free, and as healthy as we've ever been. Now, I give you that history. I give you that background because for about 30 years of my life, I was just surviving, really, just barely making it, my wife and I. And 30 years, I'm telling you, I had no idea for 30 years what the more I was made for. Had no clue what I was supposed to do in life, really. For 30 years, there wasn't a soul on the planet who would have predicted this, what's happened. Not me, my wife, not anybody. Today I look at what God's done and I, I just shake my head. As I reflect on all of this, my own life, there's, I think there's four ingredients. There's many I could talk about, but four key ingredients that I think consistently show up in people's lives who are trying to fulfill a big dream. I want to show you a verse out of the Bible. It says this, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that are unseen. You don't see him yet. But I want to ask a question. What do you hope for? Think about it. What do you hope for in life? If you had all the money in the world, what would you do? 
What would you hope for? If, if money wasn't a problem, what would you do with your one and only life? You know, after you went on four cruises and played 90 rounds of golf, what, what would you do then? What purpose would your life have that you and God would be proud of? This verse says that faith is what you hope for, but you can't yet see it. So what do you hope for? What are your biggest hopes and dreams? How many of you would say it's your kids? You hope they turn out, find Christ, marry well. You can't see that yet, maybe. But it's what you hope for. That's a great hope, by the way, if you're a parent. How many of you would like to be totally debt-free someday and be able to respond generously to these things that we talk about, even to respond to the people in Texas and Florida? But you're just so stressed with money that you can't do anything. It's a great hope. Maybe you can't see it yet. How many of you are single and you hope one day to end up in a strong Christian marriage? You would love to end up there with a great family to follow. How many of you would like to end up so close to God that you can feel his presence and his delight every single day and have a hand in building up God's church to reach others and help them get to know the God who made them. Gang, I promise you, you can end up in those places, but it won't happen by accident or by spinning fidget wheels. You won't accidentally stumble into raising godly kids. You won't stumble into financial independence. You won't stumble into being physically fit, succeeding at work, or leading people to faith in Christ. So here we go. Four ingredients to reaching a great dream. Number one, you actually have to have one. That's, what we're, that's why I'm talking about, just to get you thinking. You at least have to have a dream or hope. And I think it's important that you actually write it down or verbalize it. There's something about saying it that puts it in motion and makes it real. In Matthew chapter eight, Jesus, a man came to Jesus and said, just say the word, Jesus, and my servant will be healed. Now, I don't believe in this name it, claim it, or speak it into existence. I think that's just a bunch of baloney. But there is something powerful about saying something that you want to have accomplished. I remember the exact moment, the exact moment I was standing in our living room at home. I was, I was 17 years old, and I told my dad, Dad, I think I'm going to be a pastor like you. I had just come off a painful ending in high school, lost many of my friends. It was my fault. But God used that pain to get me to think about, what's your purpose, Bob? Now that high school's done and football and basketball, now what are you going to do? What's next? What, what's the meaning of your life? And when I said to my dad, I think I'm going to be a pastor, that set in motion eight years of going to school. I did not want to go to school. I didn't want to pay tuition. Who wants to pay tuition? I didn't want to drive bus or live in a dorm with a bunch of smelly guys. I didn't want to do it. But I had to go through those eight years to reach my dream of becoming a pastor someday. I had to grow up. I had to learn things about my life and my faith. College, by the way, isn't just about class. I learned, well, I didn't learn a lot in class. I was a philosophy major, so I mean. <laughs> but college is really about learning how to work, cook, get along, and pay bills. 
College and grad school was merely a means to a dream, to a hope that I wouldn't be able to see for at least eight years. Now, you don't have to go to college to reach your dream. But what do you hope for? And have you verbalized it? 14 years ago, I said to our church board, someday we're gonna have a campus in Woodbury. They looked at me like I was a little crazy because we had no money, no property over there, no plan. But the population on the East Metro was booming and I, I just had, I think God put it on my heart. We've gotta have a campus in Woodbury for the folks out there. And 10 years after I made that statement, and $25 million later, we now have a campus of 6,000 people in Woodbury. But it all began with a single statement. Someday we're gonna be in Woodbury. A few other statements I've made over the years, we're gonna circle the Twin Cities with a campus so that people can get to a campus no matter where they live. Another statement I've said, no more debt in this church. No more. And by God's grace, we're almost there. And some of you need to make that statement in your family. No more debt. With the minor exceptions of a mortgage or going to school, no more debt. We gotta get out of this because you gotta pay back every dollar you borrow with interest. Another statement I've made, we, we wanna reach 30,000 people by year 2020. Gang, I have dreams about how long I want to lead this church, how long I wanna teach. I have dreams about how many books I'd like to write. I have dreams about seeing my grandkids come to faith and teaching them how to shoot a rifle and skin a deer. I really do. I mean, that's gonna be a great day when that happens. And I, I, I'm trusting God for that. I, I read about a group of single women whose dream it was to be married some, someday, but they had a hard time finding good Christian men. So they formed a club called Swarm, which simply means single women actively recruiting men. I mean, they, they just laid it out there, boldly stated it. Now, I don't know if I'd, you know, be attracted to that group or not as a guy, but uh, there's something powerful about saying, I'm gonna do that. We're gonna pay off debt. I'm gonna get a degree. I'm gonna become a nurse or doctor. First ingredient to fulfilling a dream, you actually have to have one and you have to state it. So what do you hope for? What's the more you were made for? I just put together just a rough idea what this is like. So, you know, I said I wanted to be a pastor one day, and that set in motion a series of steps. So eight years of school, you know, uh, internships, uh, being a youth pastor for three years, and other things that I had to do. All this, I couldn't yet see it, but I had to state it in order to put these things in motion. If you want to have a faith-filled family, what are the things that you need to do to achieve that, if you wanna lose weight, what are the steps, I mean, but you have to have, you have to have that goal, that, that dream, you have to state it in order to put in motion. You know, you wanna be an author, well, what's that gonna take? That takes a lot, I can tell you. College athlete, great mom, whatever it might be. It's just a few things, a few ideas there. But you have to state it, you have to have it in mind. And if I could, just, just briefly, I wanna say a word to the married people here today. Because some of you wives are married to a dreamer. And you're like, just get a job, right? And all he wants to do is dream, wants to start a boy band or whatever. It's like, oh, give me a break. But I love, I love what Andy Stanley said at this year's Leadership Summit. He said, we shouldn't keep squashing people's dreams by keep saying, how? How are you going to do that? How are you going to do that? Just kind of squashing them. 
He says we should get used to saying, wow. I want you to see this quick clip. You'll enjoy it. Watch. This wow and how thing, this is a big deal because, ladies, you know this. About every week or so, your husband comes home with a new idea, right? <laughs> Guys got all these ideas. And ladies, somehow you think that God put you in our lives to how all of our good ideas to death, okay? <laughs> now, let me explain to you. I know why you do that. I know why you do that. It's fear, okay? Fear not. We... Wait, fear not, we almost never follow through with anything, right? So you just say, ladies, you just say, wow. Right, and then you say, then you say, did you come up with that all? by yourself? <laughs> then you can say, would you clean out the dishwasher? Yes, ma'am, I'll clean out the dishwasher and take out the trash, yeah, whatever. You came up with that all by yourself? And then you just hand us the remote and we'll never think about it again, okay? <laughs> so, seriously, parents, let's be careful, okay? Let's just be careful with our kids. The world will put enough hows in front of them. They don't need us to do that. Let's just be wow parents. Because who knows, listen, listen. Your greatest contribution to the world may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Your greatest contribution to the world may not be something you do, but someone you raise. I was watching that on my phone at home. And when Andy said that statement, your greatest contribution to the world may not be something you do, but someone you raise. I got up off the couch. I went over to my wife. She was standing at the sink, put my arms around her. I said, Laurie, this is you. You raised two of the greatest kids. That was your purpose. And I'm so grateful that you did that. Her greatest contribution to the world wasn't so much what she did, but it's the two kids that she raised. And then I said, that it's not only who you raised, it's who you support. Because the only reason I'm standing on this stage today is because of my wife. She has supported me, prayed for me, followed me all over the world in creation, being poor for a long time. Her greatest contribution to the world is who she raised. and who she supports. She's the real hero in our family. I'm telling you right now. And maybe some of you gals needed to hear that. But the first ingredient to reaching a dream you at least gotta have on worth pursuing. The second one is this. You gotta eliminate bad thinking. I thought a long time about this next point. I've told this congregation many, many times that one of the things that I battle with personally is anxiety. 
because I'm insecure. I'm insecure about what I'm doing right now. I, I really am. It doesn't sound like it, I know it, but I am. I, I'm insecure about leading at a high level, what people think of me all the time. I'm worried about that. It's why I stay off social media, by the way, because one negative comment, I'm telling you, can send me off into a bad place for a couple of days. So I, I work really hard every day at loading up my mind with God's truth because I need to know what God thinks of me, not what some other person thinks of me. I want to know what God thinks of me so that I can, I can reach my dreams because negative thoughts can get in the way of that. And so I, have a, I literally have this, this little block of wood at my desk. Someone made this for me in the church because I keep quoting it. And I see it every single day right in front of my computer. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. It's not my strength. I'm a weak, inadequate person, but I can do all the things God has called me to do through Christ, who gives me the strength to accomplish those things because all of us have had things said to us that made us think we couldn't accomplish anything, but this verse says, gang, you can accomplish all the things that God wants you to accomplish not by your own strength or wisdom, but by God's strength who's at work inside you, your thought life. Philippians 4.8 says, fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, and excellent. There's a lot of things you've got to eliminate and guard your mind from every single day. Fix your thoughts on these things Eliminate bad thinking if you want to reach your dream. My daughter was in gymnastics, which is an anxiety-driven sport. Um, one night I was there to pick her up after practice, but I was early. So I went in and sat down with all the other moms on the bench and watched the kids work out. And one of the coaches was trying to get this poor girl to do a backflip on a four-inch wide balance beam and it's totally unreasonable. The human body was not meant to do backflips on a skinny beam, and this girl was terrified. She stood on that beam and said, but I can't do it. And I didn't know who this girl was, but my heart went out to her, and I said under my breath, she can't do it. <laughs> the coach said, yes, you can. The girl said, no, I can't. And again, I said, no, she can't. The coach said, just throw yourself over. I thought, have you lost your mind? <laughs> By now, I was standing on the bleachers because I was emotionally involved in this exchange, and the coach persisted. She said, you can do it, and I was saying to myself, no, she can't. Look at her. She's frail, afraid. If you wanted to get on that beam and do a backflip, you do it, but don't make this little girl do it. The girl took one last look into her coach's eyes and she stared down at that beam and she threw herself over backwards. Her arms and legs were flailing. It was very ugly. But she landed on that beam and I shouldn't have clapped so loudly by the looks that I got <laughs> from all the moms. But the only reason that girl fulfilled her dream is because her coach changed her thinking from I can't to I can. You can do all things through Christ who gives you the strength. What is your dream? 
Third ingredient is this, you gotta get going. This is the action step. You gotta get moving, you gotta get going. Some of you are thinking, Bob, I have no idea what my dream or dreams are. And by the way, that's okay. Because often you discover it in the process of doing something else, and it takes time. It wasn't until my 30s that I really began seeing that my true purpose in life was to be more of a leader and teacher than the pastor of a smaller church. There's a big difference in those, in those things. I think it takes about 30 years at least of learning and growing to really figure out what your true purpose is. But here's the mistake a lot of people make. They waste precious years just drifting, goofing off, doing not much of anything. So I tell people all the time, look, don't waste your 20s. Use your 20s to get educated, gain skills, and do different jobs because those are the critical years to find out who you are and what you're good at. If you wasted your 20s, some of you are like, man, I don't even remember. <laughs> if you wasted your 20s, don't waste your 30s. If you wasted your 30s, why? Don't waste your 40s, okay? I mean, just get going. Uh, every, every single person I know, and I talk to a lot of people about this because it's a topic of industry. Every person who I know who has fulfilled a big dream got going early in life, mainly because they had to. Going to school, doing odd jobs, internships, time in the military, some people. T.D. Jakes says it this way, and I don't agree with all of T.D. Jake's theology, but I agree with this statement. To reach your destiny or purpose, you can't skip the preparation of learning, training, and experience. Preparation is a prerequisite for greatness. So true. When my son was 10 years old, we dropped him off at a golf course to caddy. He could barely carry a bag. But we got going. He got going. And by age 12, he had two grand in the bank that he earned. He couldn't stay out late with his friends because he had to be at work at six in the morning. One day he said, Dad, let's go to Cup and Cone, kind of celebrate. We love to go into Cup and Cone together. And he said, I'll buy. He was 12. So he walked up to the window to order. He pulled out this wad of cash. He must have had $120 a day. You shouldn't carry that much cash around in your pocket. He said, hey, no worries. Got you covered, Dad. I'm loaded. But he was so proud to be able to treat his dad with his own money. And if I could just brag a little bit. I'm so humbled by this, but today he's, he's 29. He's an incredible lawyer, downtown Minneapolis. He's married to an amazing woman who's an engineer at 3M, and he's a dad. He's one of the finest Christian men that I know. And two days ago, he took me golf and paid. It is a wonderful thing <laughs> when your son pays. It's just a wonderful reality. But here's my point. Dave had no idea at age 10 that he would be in law someday. No clue. But he got going. 
and being a lawyer is part of his purpose because over these next 10 years of arguing cases and writing briefs, he's going to learn things about himself, God, and the world that he can't yet see and would never learn in school. By the way, kids' sports have become their kind of work today, I understand. But here's what's missing in all of that. Gaining work skills. Learning the value of a dollar. Learning how to work under a boss. In the real world, bosses don't give out juice boxes or participation ribbons for just showing up. They'll give you an annual review with criticism. And what's missing today with kids' sports, that's all they do, is they're not learning the value of work and finding their true purpose. Our kids were in sports growing up, but if one of your hopes is to have productive, faith-filled kids that, that grow in their faith and grow in their purposes, what actions are you taking today to make sure that happens? If it's to be debt-free, what actions are you taking today? If it's to have a great marriage, what actions are you taking to get there? I love this quote from Juliet Funt. She's the CEO of Whitespace. She says this. She says, beware of the lollipop of mediocrity. One lick and you will suck forever. I love that quote. <laughs> you got to write that down. You could exchange this word uh, with other words. Beware of the lollipop of entitlement. One lick. Beware of the lollipop of laziness. Get going. Get active. Get after it. The final ingredient to achieving a dream is don't stop dreaming. Don't stop pursuing the more that you were made for because as soon as you start to pursue your dream, you're going to face discouragement. Guaranteed. I wanted to quit college many times. In seminary, I bombed a preaching class so badly, I almost walked away from my dream. I'm telling you, as soon as you say you're going to attack your debt, your car will die. You got to pursue. As soon as you say you're going to lose weight, they're going to give away free Twinkies at Walmart. <laughs> you got to keep going. Maybe you had a really bad week at work, or maybe you went through a divorce and think you can't recover, but you can recover. You can get help. You can learn new habits, discover new people, make a pivot from your loss, and ask God to strengthen you to keep going. Courage, gang, is not the absence of failure and fear. I am afraid of something every single day in my life. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the willingness to keep going, even though you're scared to death and maybe have had some failures. Courage is the willingness to keep going and don't stop dreaming. Julia is what courage is all about. I want you to see her story. I'll come up just in a couple of seconds to close out. We'll be done. Watch this. I feel like I'm myself when I'm around horses. They can really pick up on how you're feeling and then in turn they kind of comfort you in a way that like a dog or cat couldn't do. 
If I had my way, this whole world would be made up of horses, and I would be the one riding them. Giddy up. My husband and I traveled to Ukraine in 2002, and we adopted Julia. She was six and a half at the time, and she's just delightful. You know, we call her Jules for short, and I always think she is. She's just precious. She's just a treasure. That was nice to finally be part of a family. I look at them like they're the rescue mission and they were sent for me. And I think it's God's way of sending help when I needed it most. Over the years, Julia has lagged in some developmental areas and she's been diagnosed with ADHD and generalized anxiety disorder and autism spectrum disorder. She's smart enough to know she has those disabilities and it really torments her. My brain sometimes feels like a Rubik's Cube that I can't always put together. Um, at times I feel like it's nearly impossible. Socially, I've been kind of the awkward duck. I think people really don't understand me. And that makes it really hard for relationships to form. It was really difficult with the friendships because we would see so many strides being made at home, but then as soon as she was back in a social situation, you could see the struggles and you could see how she wasn't transferring those skills that we had worked on. And it was really hard because I saw this wonderful little girl and other people just saw the quirkiness and kids aren't comfortable with quirkiness. They, they don't like it. So it was really hard because you, you don't mind it happening to you, but when it's happening to your child, it's heartbreaking. It's been really frustrating at times, but for me, defeat's never been an option. You can't really accept it. If you do, then what's the point? She really wants to do big things with her life. She wanted to be the president of the United States at one time. She's wanted to be a pilot. She's wanted to be a police officer. She's wanted to go into the military. As time has gone on and we've explained things to her about, well, that dream's a great dream, but it probably isn't the right one for you, and that everybody has uh, abilities and disabilities. And so we have to fit our dreams with what our abilities are. We're still working on that. Things I've always wanted, but I realized with time that it just wasn't gonna happen, was go to college. Instead, I kinda went to get more training in other ways that were actually more like beneficial to me. She had an experience working at a Walgreens, checking for expiration dates and facing shelves and stocking shelves, and she really loved that. So now that's her dream is to work at Walgreens. And she's seen that the more she tries, the more she succeeds. Things that were hard for her, she has kept at, and she's now good at them, and she's feeling confident about it. She is really an inspiration because she doesn't give up. I'm not a quitter. You know, I look at it more like a quarterback playbook. You know, you're QBing your own life. Okay, play A didn't really work. We go on to play B. Play B doesn't work. We go on to plan C and so on and so forth. Of course, plans do get shifted. Dreams always get shifted. But, you know, I'm running my life and I have to know what, what I'm doing in order to be successful at it. <laughs>
You know, some people look at life as a race. I don't. I look at it more like a marathon. Some people are always wanting to sprint to greatest college. Some people are always wanting to get married. Some people are always wanting just to cruise through life and have no problems. Well, let me tell you, that doesn't work. Because in life, you are gonna have problems. It's a matter of how you go about dealing with those issues that that's just gonna make you better. I think that we sell ourselves short when we say that our dreams have to be huge. We can live a really big life without making a lot of money or doing big things. You live a big life by how you influence everyone around you. She takes a lot of joy in that and a lot of pride in that. My dreams are very now that I'm a bit older. I would say that the best goal for me is getting a job that I'm happy with and living on my own. There's no reason why I can't be successful, just like everybody else. I just took a different path than what someone else would take. You know, with what life gave me, I'm trying to make lemonade out of lemons. So far, I think I'm doing okay. Ultimately, I think I will get, I know I will get to where I'm going. Just girl, and she. Julia said if plan A isn't working, maybe it's try time to try plan B or plan C. But you gotta keep trying. And you gotta keep dreaming. So what is the more that you were made for? got to eliminate bad thinking. You got to get going. Whatever you do, don't stop dreaming. God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for your life. Our number one purpose is to know him. He wants to know us. He wants us to know him. And I hope you do. That's where life begins. We're going to be talking more about that next week, so I invite you all back. At all campuses, let's stand for closing prayer. And as we are standing today for closing prayer, if you just be really uh, in a prayerful spirit for those, again, who are in Texas and now in Florida who are really facing some a rough time where things have just kind of washed away. And a lot of their dreams, you know, have been, have been removed, but God can create new dreams in every person's life, no matter what happens to them. But let's pray for those folks who are going through this right now. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that you have a plan for our lives. God, I pray that you will reveal your purpose to each one of us. And I pray, God, that we would have the courage to pursue it. Lord, we all, in one heart, lift up those who are uh, going through a tough time in Texas, those who lost people, lost their homes. God, right now, for those who, um, in the Caribbean and in Florida now, who are really up against it, I just pray, and we all pray, that you would do miracles 
in every person's life in these areas who are suffering and losing things right and left. Thank you for a church that responds to people in need. I love this church. And we all love you, God. Thank you for giving us life, for loving us the way you do. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Have a great day, everybody. God bless all of you.